The following audio is from The House in Rogers, Arkansas. More information about The House Church can be found at www.welcometothehouse.com. Impact. The word impact is to have a strong effect on someone or something. And when I think about people that, that make an impact, I think about athletes like LeBron James. You know, LeBron James, you know, Steph Curry. James Harden, you think about things that they've done. I think about pop culture people, the Kardashians, Beyonce, Jennifer Lawrence, political figures over this last year, Hillary, Bernie, uh, Trump, Cruz. I think of innovators, Steve Jobs with Apple, um, Bill Gates, I really think of him. Uh, think of Mark Zuckerberg, the creator of Facebook, Instagram. You know, these people, and we can name many, many more, but when you throw those names out there, they all cause a reaction in us because they've made an impact. They've made an impact on this culture, good or bad, positive or negative. All these people have made an impact and have had a strong effect on people's lives. But here's my question for us today. Is the church having as deep of an impact as these people are on our culture? When, when you think, could you, do you think, no, 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 not, not those people, David, these church people. Or do we think, yep, those people have done more to the culture and impacted and affected and influenced the culture more than the church? See, why not? Why is the church not impacting like some of these pop culture figures are? And as we're talking in every session about being an impact maker, that's exactly what the church needs to be and should be is an impact maker. Church church should make an impact on a community, not just hold a service. Church is not a play. Church is not a show. Church is not a drama that is performed every Sunday and you come here and get some popcorn and have a latte and be entertained and leave here and think, boy, that was good. That's not what church is. See, lives should be changed when they come into the house. Communities should be changed because of this church specifically. Uh, The state of Arkansas should be changed because of this church. Our nation should be changed. So the question is, how do we become an impact maker? How do we do that? Well, Paul really explains it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? How does transformation happen? By changing the way you think. And then Paul actually goes on to say, then you will learn to know God's will for your life. Then you will know how good and pleasing and perfect it is. See, God says, Paul Paul says that as you transform your thinking, you can then know the will of God for your life. As your mind begins to be transformed to the word of God, you begin to learn how you can make an impact on people around you. But until we transform this, it's hard to transform this. That that is what has to happen. But Paul says here, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. See, let God change your thoughts. Don't copy culture's thoughts. But you know that's what we're seeing today. We are copying culture's thoughts. And I'm talking about the church. We are copying culture's thoughts. But Paul says here, stop copying culture's thoughts and start copying God's thoughts. See, transformation takes place in your life as your thoughts change. And if you're going to make an impact, we got to think right. 
We've got to think right. And in this session of our series, we're going to focus, like Steve said, on thinking. And here's the question that I have for you personally here today. And I like to ask questions, and, and Steve obviously knows me. That's why he had me do the one on thinking. But I like to ask questions when I speak because I think it's important that people aren't told It's that pe because people need to think for themselves. See, we have to. your relationship with Jesus is not dependent on the house. It's dependent on Jesus. The house is a catalyst. The church here is a catalyst, but you have got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ on your own. And so when I speak, I like to ask questions that cause you to think about your own life. So here's the question that I have for you. Is culture changing your thinking or is God changing your thinking? Is culture coming in and changing you or are you going out and changing culture? See, who's making an impact on who here? Does the church look and think more like the culture every day or more like God every day? Do we sound like the word of God or like the world? Because it's so easy and it's so innocent to start conforming to the world and not even know it. Yeah. It is. It's so, it's so it's hard. It's almost harmless. See, our ideas about family and raising kids and, and education, if we're not careful, more and more we think, we talk, we respond, and we live like culture. And, and, and it's so subtle, and it's so easy for that to happen. See, our ideas about entertainment, our ideas about being offended. I mean, we're offended about everything today. We walk down the street, we're offended by the concrete. I mean, it's just unbelievable how offended, and I've got to tell someone, and I'm going to sue someone because I'm offended. Or maybe the word of God comes in and we start to forgive and keep no record of wrongs like Romans 13 says. See, our ideas about paying bills or getting really mad at bill collectors for calling to get the things that we're supposed to have paid. Our ideas about how marriage works. See, I'm telling you, culture can come in and innocently and slowly and slippery, we start to think like culture and not like... I mean, th think, think about how marriage works. I saw a deal the other day on marriage and millennials. I'm glad we have a lot of millennials here today. If you don't know who that is, you're like in your 20s but, but, or 18 and above. But it says this, millennials on marriage. Here's what millennials think about marriage. 43% of millennials said they would support a marriage model that involved a two-year trial period. At which point the union could either be formalized or dissolved. No divorce or paperwork required. 33% said they'd be open to trying what researchers dubbed the real estate approach. Where a marriage license was granted a 5, 7, 10, or 30-year arm. And then terms could be renegotiated after the contract ended. 21% said they'd give the presidential method a try, whereby marriage vows last for four years, but after eight years, you can elect to choose a new partner. <laughs> Basically, you have a trial period for marriage. And I guess to some people, that sounds like a good idea. I guess to some people that sounds like a good idea. That's just not a God idea. That's just not a God. But, but this is what our flesh does. Our flesh wonders, what's it like over there? What, 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 what is it like to do things that way? See, and if you don't, if, and I want you to know today that the thief wants to steal your impact. He wants to come in and change your thinking. See, the, the way he does that is by stealing right thoughts from your head. The thief knows that if he can change your thinking, then he can stop your impact. 
If he can change your thinking, that he can stop your impact. See, the thief has a strategy to get you, and you have to know that. The Bible talks about that. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 3. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see the strategy, and I want to take just a couple minutes to, to walk through the strategy to stop right thinking in your life. And, and I don't know where you're at today. Maybe right thinking has been robbed from you. Maybe right thinking has already been stolen from you. Praise God, you can get it back. We can go to the lost and found and find it. You know, we, we can go and get it. But look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. You can really see the strategy in this passage. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. So you have to know it always starts with the question, did God really say? And as Christians, this is what we do. We start to question what God, I don't know if God really said that. That's what happens in our lives. It starts with a question. I don't know if God really, and and I want you to know today that the thief has a four-step strategy to get you. I want to run through this real quick. The thief has a four-step strategy to get you, and you can see it right here in this passage. But the first thing that the thief does is he gets your focus on the wrong thing. He said, so you can't eat from every tree, can you? And he started to change Eve's focus. See, a lot of people think in the garden, when, when you think of, of, of this account here, that it was between one good tree and one bad tree. And that wasn't it at all. In fact, on this planet right now, there are over 25 different fruit-bearing trees here on earth. Over 2,500, did I say 25? Over 2,500. Some of you are like, I think there's more than 25 there, Dave. All good teachers use tricks like that to make sure people are paying attention. When I saw your odd faces, I knew that it had worked. There are over 2,500 different fruit-bearing trees. You had to believe that in the garden there could have been more than that, but there was at least that. And what, what the enemy was able to do with that one statement is he was able to take her mind off the 2,499 trees and put it on the one. See, you got her focus on the wrong thing. And this is exactly what the enemy does. He starts by breaking our focus. Stephen talked about that. That's exactly what he, he wants to get your focus off all that God has given you and get it on the one thing God doesn't want you doing. You know, it's amazing that God, you know, God just won't let me, if I'm a Christian, then I can't do this. I can't. We get our focus on the one or two things, and there's so much that God wants us to do in our lives, but the enemy steals our thinking by getting it on the one tree, by getting it on the one thing. Then he moves, and he turns it up to phase two, and phase two negates the word. See, the enemy looked at her, and he said, you're not going to die. 
The Bible isn't true. What God said to you, that's not real. That's not right. And so you, you see, it's exactly what is happening to us in culture today. We've, we've focused things in the church on the wrong thing, and we've started to negate the word and say, I don't know about this. I don't know uh, about that. You know, you're not going to die. And then he goes to phase three, and, and the enemy said, you know what? God's holding back something from you. And see, this is what we've always felt is that God's holding back. See, if I'm a Christian, that means that I'm being held back from a life that I could be living, and it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Is God knew that if they ate of that fruit, it would actually rob them of the great impact and the great life that he had for them. But see, that, it, you know, when we, get, when we get our focus off, it is so easy to start to, to negate the word, to start to think that God is holding out on me, to get our focus on the wrong thing, and then, boom, he's got us because he offers what God has withheld. And she took the fruit and she ate it. But she didn't recognize that it started with her thoughts getting off. It started with the deception. And here's what, church, we have to know is the world is selling a lie. The thief sells. He adver, he's a good advertiser. It's a great, it, it is an amazing billboard. It, it is an amazing lie, but the lie never works. It advertises more and delivers less. But it all starts with the thought of this. Did God really say? If we're going to be an impact maker, we've got to make sure our thoughts are protected. See, the first way that we go wrong is we begin to question the authenticity of God's word. We think we know better than God. I've got a better idea than God has. And we think we can invent new ways of living life that will work outside of what God thinks. This is where we're at. We're inventing new ways of living life that are outside of God's ways, and they are not going to work. See, culture begins to bend our thoughts to do what we feel like doing. And Stephen said this just a second ago. We are beginning to live on feelings, and feelings are great. They're the spice of life, but they can't be the guide to life. I love spices, but I don't cut into them with my steak knife. I don't have me a big plate of spice. You know what I'm saying? And cut into it and scoop it up with my spoon. No, 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 no. You add a little spice to life, but spice is not the meat. See, the meat is the word of God. See, this is the meat. This is what we live on. Feelings are great. We have to have feelings, but they cannot be the guide. But, but what we've done is, I don't care what God said. I'm going to do what I want to do. And what we've become is a boundaryless society. We don't want any boundaries. We don't want lines. We don't want restrictions. Here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to, we don't want to have to deny our flesh. And that was kind of the big deal when Jesus said, deny your flesh, take up your cross and follow me. It was kind of, it was kind of an important message that Jesus gave us while he was here on this earth. I mean, it was kind of the crutch of it all. And that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to have to say no to our feelings. We don't want to have to die to ourselves. See, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's what we want to do. See, we have become boundaryless because we've left the word of God and we've started to conform to the world. Now, I'm not talking about the world has left the word of God. The world never had it. The church. It's the church that has to begin to think back to the word of God. See, this is our motto now. If we feel it, if we want it, if we think we are, 
And if we like it, then it's okay. That's our motto. But my main question is this, will that work in reality? See, why did God give, our, give us his word? Because it is the way that reality works. It is the instruction manual to life. It is the way that life works. Not does it sound good in our minds, does it work? See, we want to be married on a trial period. What in the world, what in the world are we doing? What is that? That's not a God thought. And here's where we're at. We want the freedom of immorality with the safety of morality. You know, we really do want both today when you think about it. See, I want to be able to do what I want, but I don't want anybody else to be able to do that. I want to be able to do what I want, but I want everybody else to respect me. And I don't want to have to have boundaries on me, but I want everyone to have boundaries on them. See, what we want to do is we want to do what we want without the consequences. We want both. We want to have our cake and eat it too, but if you eat the cake today, if you eat the cake, then you can't have it too because it's eaten as you blow out the 55 candles, you know. It, 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 <laughs> we want both. We want both, but God said you had to choose. And he, here's what everybody needs to know today is that you're free to do whatever you want to do. See, God gave us that freedom. He gave Eve that freedom. But what we're not free to do is to escape the consequences. And this is what we want to do. We want to do what we want to do and escape the consequences. That's just not how this works. That's just not how God set it up. That's not how it works. You know, you take the example of the porn industry. We want to objectify women and girls and not have the consequence of that perversion. You know, domestic violence, human trafficking, and other perversions have happened as a result of what we have done in that area. See, we want immorality and morality at the same time, but you can't have both. We were at a Brazilian steakhouse on vacation with our family not too long ago. I don't know if you've ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse. It's awesome where they bring the skewers of meat around. There is nothing, I don't know, just more masculine about more meat. Yeah, I mean, we were having fun. My wife, my daughter, my son, we we were having a blast. But, you know, when they first came up, they have to explain the worst part. It's the prices. They're proud of that meat, you know. And the waitress came up and she said, now, how old are your kids? Because there's different prices for different ages. And she told us that, you know, we explained how old the kids were and they walked away. And my daughter looked at me and she said, dad, we could tell them a different age and get it for cheaper. I was like, have you been spending time with the Sexton kids? You know, oh, it was a joke. It was a joke, stretching time. <laughs> but I looked at her and I said, well, that would be lying and stealing and how many other offenses could we, you know, that would be wrong, you know. It was like they would lose their business. I went into this economic lesson here. You know, they would lose their business and then society would collapse, and, you know, try to have morality, you know. My wife was like, too much, too much, <laughs> you know. And I was like, who taught you that? You know, but, but that's where we're at. We want to do what we want to do in the moment. And that's not how it works. God said that will not work. You, if you eat that fruit of that thought, you will die. And when I think of someone who made a great impact back in, in, in the biblical times, I think of Daniel. You know, Daniel made a massive impact on his culture that actually changed the culture, because it's, but it's because he thought different. In fact, turn to Daniel chapter 6. I'll, I want to look at this passage here of an impact maker.
Daniel chapter 6, this is really the moment. This is where Daniel has a big moment. This is, this is one of those moments that we all want and dream to have. You know, this is game seven, buzzer beater three, alley-oop dunk kind of moments right here for Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, look at verse 1. It says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So Daniel had talent here. Daniel was being used in the kingdom. And then verse 4, you know, when you, when you get a promotion, that's when jealousy sets in with your coworkers. Verse 4, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. I mean, look at the integrity. I mean, they were trying to find something. He was just, he, he had such character. See, he was faithful. He was always responsible. He was completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king, and, and, and they convinced the king to make a new law, is what they did. And they said, king, make a new law that you can only bow down to you. Skip down to verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual. See, Daniel changed nothing when culture changed. And he knelt down as usual in the upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. See, he knew God had given him success. So he continued to thank God for that, no matter what culture was doing. Verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house, found him praying, and asked for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about this law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone divine or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown in the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. And it's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Verse 13, then they told the king, that man Daniel, you know, the one that you promoted, one of the captives from Judah, he's ignoring you in your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. So they got him. King actually liked Daniel. What, what boss doesn't like a really good employee who has integrity and character? And so he tries to find a way out of this, but he was bound to the law. Throws Daniel in the lion's den. If you ever read the story, comes back and finds Daniel alive. And, of course, he gets excited, and he realizes after this moment, this law has to change. And it says he throws the families of these guys against him into the lion's den. They begin to get it. But I want you to see the change that happens in culture here in verse 25. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never. Listen to the king talking about God. This is the king that wanted everyone to bow down to him that has sees Daniel make an impact. See, Daniel does not fear man. Daniel does not fear the beast here. 
Daniel fears God only. And he thinks, I'm only going to live to please God. I'm only going to do what God says in his word. I'm only going to do what God has called me to do. And see, Daniel is an impact maker because culture did not change the way he lived his life. Culture did not change his thoughts. God's word and God's word alone is what he lived by. And then what happened? Everyone was impacted because of the way Daniel thought. Everyone was impacted because of the way Daniel thought. See, Daniel didn't take a poll and ask what is popular. Daniel did not take a poll and ask what is politically correct. What is everybody feeling today? He wanted to know what does God say for me to do? And in the church today, do we think like Daniel or do we think like culture? In the church Worldwide, and even in the church here. Do we think like Daniel? Do we think, I'm going to please God no matter what everybody else thinks, no matter what everybody else does. I'm going to raise my family like God says to raise my family. Or am I going to think like culture? I want to bring all of this together. And, and I want to send you out with a challenge today. I want to send you out with a challenge. And I want to do that by reading four different verses. I want to read four different verses today because if we're going to make an impact, we got to think different. we got to think different than everyone else. Why? Because our thoughts lead to our actions. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh, so is he. See, how we think is how we become. Out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. See, our actions, our impact is decided. It's directly proportional to our mindset. It's directly proportional to our thoughts. And, and we've got to know that. See, Jesus was talking to his disciples in Mark 10, 43. And he said, but among you, it will be different. See, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. All his disciples so naturally were trying to, to be Jesus' favorite. Jesus, who's your favorite disciple? Who's your top disciple? They were climbing to the top of the corporate ladder in, in the disciple LLC there. And, and Jesus says, guys, guys, stop, stop. Among you, it's going to be different. If you want to be a Christ follower, you've got to be different than the culture. You've got to think different. See, you've got to be a servant. See, Jesus was challenging their mindset. Why? Why? Because he was setting them up to be impact makers. He was setting them up for when I leave, I need you to be different. If you're going to change the culture, you can't look like the culture. See, if you're going to be light, light stands out from darkness. You, you've got to stand out from those around you. And Jesus said, among you, it will be different. And so if we're going to be an impact maker, we have to think different as a Christ follower. How do we do this? How do we think different? Well, Jesus really gave us the key in John 14, 15. I apologize for the font there. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, call yourself a Christian. That's not what Jesus said. If you love, if you love me, put a cross necklace on. If you love me, wear a Jesus t-shirt. He didn't say, well, I'm a Christian, but I believe marriage should look like this. I'm a Christian, but I believe authority ought to be treated like this because, see, I was wronged. 
See, I'm a Christian, but I believe in treating my boss and my company like this, and they're, 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 they're mistreating me, and I believe I have a right to do. He didn't say, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to raise my kids like this. No, he said, if you love me, obey my commands. But today we act as if a Christ follower is a pick and choose thing. We act as if it's a choose your own adventure book. And that's not at all what this is. God says, if you love me, obey my commands, period. Well, I'm a Christian and I believe that. That's not what a Christ follower is. You can say that all you want, but Christ follower is not talk. It is action. It is is action. But see, the problem is you, you can't obey the commands that you don't know. You can't obey the commands that you don't know. See, if we don't know God's word, how do we obey it? And I love one of our former president, President John Quincy Adams. Sixth president of the United States, grew up during the Revolution. He was really one of the biggest advocates against slavery. I mean, that that was kind of his, that was really his deal. He was like, I'm going to end slavery here in America. And, And I love what he said about the Bible. He said, with regard to the history contained in the Bible, it's not so much praiseworthy to be acquainted with it as it is shameful to be ignorant of it. But you know, that's the flip opposite of us today. Today, we're like, wow, you know the Bible. Wow, you are so impressive. Oh, my goodness. Can I show and tell you to all my friends? You know, it's like you have a trophy because you know the Bible. No, back then, it was like, oh, you're one of those? Oh, you don't know the Bible? They don't know the Bible, you know? I mean, it was very shameful not to know the But today, we just don't, we just don't know the Bible. Now, we go to church. But we do not know the Bible, and we're impressed for people who do it. See, we can't think like Christ if we don't know how he thinks. It's a good tweetable right there. We can't think like Christ if we don't know how he thinks. If we're going to make that impact here on this earth like we're talking about in this series, my challenge, and here's my challenge for you today, know the Bible. My challenge for you today is know the Bible. The reason the church isn't making a bigger impact today than it is currently making is because it doesn't know the Bible. Church corporately does not think biblically. I I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want to ask a question. Have you ever read the Bible through cover to cover? And I've been asking a lot of small small groups that I've been in if they know the Bible. What I'm finding is around 8% of Christians, sometimes less, I've been in rooms where it's 1% or 2% have actually read the Bible cover to cover. Oh, that's for the pastor to do. He's my designated Bible reader. He's my designated Bible knower. That's what he does. The Bible is not for pastor to speak something to us. The Bible is for us to live our lives Monday through Saturday. It is our instruction manual, and we can't follow the instructions if we do not know the Word of God. My challenge for us today is to know the Bible. And finally, two more verses. Skipped one. Finally, this verse right here, Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. I don't know if you remember this passage, but this was the first time that Jesus told his disciples he was going to have to die. And obviously that was probably a little weird. If you'd been in a ministry for three years and Pastor Steve says, hey, guys, i got to die, you, you might be looking around at everybody. Are y'all hearing this? Are y'all getting this? But also, they loved their mentor, so they got defensive. You know, Peter was like, 
heaven forbid, may this never be. I've got your back. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. I don't know about you, but that's kind of odd. You know, Jesus said he's going to die. And Peter said, I'll give my life for you, Jesus. I'll, I'll jump in front of the bullet for you, Jesus. I, I, I'll protect you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, tracks, trash talks him, calls him Satan. Why, I got to be your arch enemy here. I thought I was your main disciple. You know, I thought I was rock man, you know. And he says, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. He says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. See, Jesus said, you have got to be thinking like God thinks, not like man thinks. See, man comes up with good ideas that are not God ideas. They are, and, and they have a great heart. They, there's a lot of ideas that, that, that I, I say to people, I can see where you're coming from. That, that, that is a good heart. That, well, what a noble thought. Well, what, 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 what a warm fuzzy. You know, they, they really genuinely wanted to help people through that idea. It's just not a God idea. And good ideas, they, they pale in comparison to God ideas. Good ideas don't work. Only God ideas work. And Jesus said, you are seeing things from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. You have a great heart, but you're not thinking biblically. And finally, the, the last verse is John 8, 32, where it says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and this truth will set you free, but you back up to John 8, 31. And it says, you'll be my disciples if you know my word. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We can't be set free from the truth we don't know, and we can't know the truth until we know God's word. I want to end with this. Maybe you're here today, and you just don't think biblical. Maybe today challenged you. The word should always challenge you. See, that, that's what happens when you open the word. It challenges you. And, and, and I love the fact I was going through the, the, the different manuals today and, and Apologize for not knowing the exact names of what they were, but go, going through the framework today, it was just verse after verse after verse after verse. And I was like, this is so awesome because that is what the church is built on, the Word of God. It is built on the Word of God. But maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, David, I don't, you know, I don't, this is kind of challenging me. That's exactly what the Word should do. And my challenge for you is to dive into this word and allow God to transform your life by changing the way you think. Here at the house, God is calling us to make an impact. But that impact comes as we think like God thinks. Thanks for listening. To see what's happening at the house, follow us on social media at the house underscore NWA.